Welcome to Your Gal Friday, a podcast about female leaders, innovators, and rule breakers. Each week, your hosts, Leah and Phoebe, will shine a spotlight on an amazing gal and talk about what we can all learn from her. Brought to you by Gal's Guide to the Galaxy. Welcome to Your Gal Friday. I am Dr. Leah Leach. And I'm Phoebe Freer. Today, we are starting our block on the real-life gals of Hamilton with none other than the Schuyler sisters. Now, did you know that there was more than three? Did you know that Eliza's husband wasn't the only Schuyler husband to be in a duel with Aaron Burr? Well, today, we are going to uncover the real-life history and legacy of your gals, the Schuyler sisters. This is going to be so exciting. (laughs) So, what I knew about the Schuyler sisters was well admittedly the first time i heard about them was from of course hamilton the musical Mm -hmm. i immediately loved all of their songs like every single one of them because they always have very prominent things to say and it's very in your face but even though it's about hamilton the the women very much have like a stance and uh, a role Mm -hmm. to play I really didn't learn much about them in our history books, which is kind of bumming me out because especially Eliza Schuyler, like she has had so much impact with her life beyond what the musical showed, beyond what the history books show. And I'm just really excited to tell everybody all about what we learned about the suck the Schuyler sisters because there's just so much more to the story we can make a whole musical just about the sisters right exactly oh and I would go yeah I'd be there right front row oh yeah (laughs) oh yeah uh so what I came into with the episode uh is that my husband does uh genealogy and I have been thoroughly Mm -hmm. like sucked into this uh now it turns out that my mom's side of the family actually arrived in America because of the Schuyler family. So this is a very weird, Whoa. weird history. And I will just give you a very short version of it that kind of relates to my knowledge of kind of what I knew about this family beforehand, before coming into the episode and learning about these gals. So Philip Schuyler was born in Holland and moved to America in 1650. But at that time, the area was called the New Netherlands. Now, this family has been here for a long time. Philip's son, Peter, became the first mayor of Albany, New York. Together, they, with military colonel and four Mohawk chiefs, visited Queen Anne in London and asked for more troops to guard New York frontier against the French and Indian attacks. Now, when they came to England, they passed by the terrible living conditions of a group of German refugees in the city. Those refugees were my relatives. So the story goes that a Mohawk chief offered a tract of land to Queen Anne to provide a home for those refugees. So in 1710, 3,000 refugees were sent to New York, but only 720 of them lived through the journey. They settled in the Mohawk Valley and they worked for the crown. They produced tar and timber for the crown. My relatives were the countrymen's. My family was actually in Ripley's Believe It or Not when it was a magazine in 1935 and it listed Conrad Countryman, who is my eighth eighth great-grandfather, that he was the daddy of the revolution. He gave 26 sons and grandsons to General Washington's army, but one son was a Tory who was loyal to England. 
So here's the really emotional, complex part. I'm a daughter of the American Revolution, but I'm also a United Empire loyalist. Many families were torn, and the Schuylers had loyalists, and they had rebels. Benjamin Franklin's son was actually also a loyalist, too. And I read that the general consensus of America was that one-third were for the Revolution, one-third were for English rule, and one-third just really couldn't decide what they were going to do. Now, that doesn't make looking at my family tree any less complicated. (laughs) However, I am a direct descendant from the one son who stayed loyal to England. He fought in the Royal Regiment, and he was given land in Canada as a reward. So for three generations, my family stayed in Canada before two brave brothers decided to come back to America. And no one talked about this history for generations. And because history is written by the victors and I went to school in America, I learned about America's founding and I learned that I am the villain in your history. Oh. But Leah, the unique thing about being an American is that we're all a mix of one side of the story or the other, or multiple sides of one war or the other. Um, I'm personally a mix of both sides of the Civil War. Um, And the beauty is that our lives don't have to mirror theirs. We can redefine things. And we're just all kind of a mix. Yeah. Exactly. We're a complicated (laughs) mix. (laughs) Absolutely. That's pretty much all of us here in America that explains (laughs) some things. True. (laughs) So now I get to talk about one of my favorite parts of the show. So this is where we segue to where did these gals come from and where did they grow up? So today I get to showcase where all of the Skylar sisters grew up because, of course, they were sisters. They'll grow up in the same place. Yay! So in September 1755, Philip Schuyler married Catherine, or Kitty, Van Rensselaer at Albany. Philip and Catherine had 15 children together, but only eight of whom survived through adulthood. Out of those eight who survived, five of them were women who grew up into adulthood to do amazing things. So the Schuyler sisters were all born in Albany, New York. Angelica was the eldest child, born on February 20th, 1756. Elizabeth, or Eliza, was the second daughter, born on on August 9th, 1757. And Peggy, or Margarita, was born on September 19th, 1758. But wait, unlike in the musical, Peggy isn't last. Next, we have Cornelia Schuyler, born in 1776. And lastly, we have Catherine Van Rensselaer Schuyler, born in 1781. There's five of them. <laughs> There's five. There's five Skylar sisters, ladies and gentlemen. Sweet. That is squad goals oh, right there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah. So the Skylar's parents were the noted American Revolutionary War General Philip Schuyler and Catherine Van Runsler. So their mother, Catherine, was a descendant of Killian Van Runsler, one of the founders of New Netherlands. Both her and Philip were descendants from third-generation Dutch immigrants. They were two of the wealthiest families of that time, and one source says that it is safe to say that Dutch was probably still their main language in everyday life. The Schuyler sisters were fourth-generation residents. 
So the three oldest Schuyler sisters came of age during the troubled times leading up to the American Revolution and met many of the prominent revolutionary leaders. So because of their father's rank and political stature, the Schuyler House in Albany, New York, was the scene of many meetings and war councils. So like many landowners of the time, Philip Schuyler owned slaves, and the sisters would have grown up around slavery. So despite the unrest of the French and Indian War, which their father served in, and which fought in part very near their childhood home, the ladies' childhoods were spent comfortably. So Angelica, Eliza, and Peggy were all learning to read and sew and write from their mother, and all these ladies were, of course, very close in age and in life. So there's actually not a lot online that I could find about Cornelia and Catherine's early life, but we can assume it's quite similar to their older sisters, where their mother taught them to read and write and all of these different kinds of things. So like most Dutch families in the area, their family belonged to the Reformed Dutch Church of Albany, which still survives today. Although the original building from 1715, where Eliza was baptized, um, it was demolished in 1806, but they rebuilt the church. So Eliza's upbringing instilled in her a strong and unwavering faith that she would actually retain throughout her life. And we'll actually be able to see this to be absolutely true when we learn more about her in just a little bit. Um, the others were baptized as well, but Eliza really, really took it to heart throughout her whole life. When she was just a girl, Eliza accompanied her father to a meeting of the Six Nations and met Benjamin Franklin when he stayed briefly with the Schuyler family while traveling. She was said to have been something of a tomboy when she was young. Throughout her life, she retained a strong will and even impulsiveness that her acquaintances noted. James McHenry, one of Washington's aides alongside her future husband, would say that hers was a strong character with its depth and warmth, whether of feeling or tempered controlled, but growing underneath, bursting through at times in some empathetic expression. All of this we'll get into later, but Eliza truly was amazing, and I didn't just say this little background because I'm covering Eliza later. She was really the only one I could find that had a little bit of, like, early childhood. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she was the only one that really had a childhood story, so I definitely wanted to that, include that here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, let's tell Angelica's story. Definitely, please do. Yes, we'll, we'll go oldest to youngest okay, of the Skylar sisters. <laughs> So, like Phoebe said, the Schuyler House in Albany was active with various meetings and councils. So the Revolutionary War broke out in 1775, and it had been brewing for about 10 years previous to that. The war tensions was generally not a time for a young woman to be worried about finding a husband, especially a war against an established empire, and who knows if this whole American experiment will even work. However... In 1776, John Barker Church visited the Schuyler House. Angelica was 20 years old, and John was a rich, British-born, and he was working to sell arms to the American and French armies. So on paper, he was a great match for the firstborn Schuyler, because no matter which way the revolution went... She would be in good hands. Totally. <laughs> but his journey to America was, well, a little suspect. His first business in London went bankrupt, and he may or may not have been in America to avoid his creditors. Oh, jeez. <laughs> 
right. Yeah. So because of this, no one thought that Daddy Schuyler would approve of the marriage. So Angelica and John eloped in 1777. They moved to Boston and Angelica became pregnant with her first child all before Hamilton even entered her life. Over the next few years, John and his business partner secured contracts to supply the French and American forces, and they made a lot of money. I mean, a lot (laughs) of money. They were good. So after the war in 1783, Angelica and her family of now four children would move to Paris, and John would be the U.S. envoy for the French government. In Paris, Angelica would become friends with Benjamin Franklin, Marquis de Lafayette, and Thomas Jefferson. Now, I wonder if she asked him about including women in the sequel. Mm, Probably. Work. Anyway, (laughs) so a few years later... The family would buy land in England, and John would make a successful run for Parliament. So now Angelica entertained, she flirted, and she was captivated by princes and kings, party leaders, playwrights, and painters. Oh, wow. Now, one interesting painter that I actually kind of wanted to bring up Mm -hmm. is she sponsored painter John Trumbull. If you're in America... Everybody knows his paintings. I mean, one of them is on the $10 bill. You know, the one of Alexander Hamilton. But also, the signing of the Declaration of Independence is on the back of the $2 bill, which we really don't use anymore, but it's still there. Without a father, got a lot smarter. Okay, I'm done now. (laughs) Okay, I'm not even close to done. Exactly. Continue. (laughs) That's the one. (laughs) Very true. Now, Trumbull's friendship with Angelica, also with Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson allowed him to rise to great acclaim. Now, Hamilton musical fans might get a kick out of the fact that Trumbull painted four portraits of Alexander Hamilton, but also one of General Mercer's death. The Mercer legacy is complete. All he had to do was die. It's a lot less work. We should give it a try. Now, Trumbull also painted General Montgomery's death. You know, the one that caught a bullet in the neck in Quebec. The one that Captain Burr, sir, and then poses to Washington some questions, a couple of suggestions on how to fight instead of heading west. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Angelica visited America in 1798 for the inauguration of George Washington as the first president of the United States. Angelica and her family would move back to New York between 1797 and 1799. I have two conflicting sources Mm -hmm. there. However, I would say it's more likely she returned in 1797. And that does correspond with the Reynolds pamphlet scandal, which I am totally going to let Phoebe talk about in Eliza's history. Yes. However... Also in this time frame of 1797, Angelica's son Philip planned a new village along the Genesee River in New York, and he named the town Angelica after his mother. Oh, so sweet. Now the design was to look like Paris, and it was to have circular roads and a street radiating out to form a star. And I think that's kind of ironic when you think of the Hamilton logo and the star. Totally. <laughs> 
It just kind of follows, doesn't it? <laughs> it, it? It fits. It is weird, but there is a sudden lack of info on her return to America until her death in 1814. So what I decided to do was look and see what her husband was up to. And oh my goodness. So there was a 1799 duel, not that duel, but another duel. And it was with Aaron Burr. Sir. Sir. <laughs> So John Barker Church, <laughs> Angelica's husband, is one of the founding directors of the Manhattan Company, an idea spearheaded by Aaron Burr. Now, the plan was to bring fresh water to Manhattan because sanitation was terrible. But it turns out that wasn't actually really the plan. The real plan was to create a bank to rival the Bank of New York. You know, the one Hamilton helped start. Of course. <laughs> right? Of course. These two. It's fascinating how they're both like, oh, you're doing this? Oh, then I'm going to do this. They don't have like, or, like, or they'll have original ideas, both of them individually, but they'll have to mm -hmm. just continuously steal each other's original ideas and then compete. It's, and I'm sorry. one up each other. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. It's kind of like a typical guy thing to do. Like, seriously, you, you guys can chill a little bit. Just, it, it's okay. You know, yes. it, it's cool. It would have been nice. <laughs> it would have been nice. It must be nice. Exactly. It must be nice. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> so people, what they did is people invested into this idea of clean water into Manhattan, right? right? right. Woo! Sounds like a great idea. Right. Uh, but because of a loophole that Burr wanted to exploit, uh, he would actually take that money and invest it and then receive the dividends from that investment to create a powerful bank. The Manhattan Company never created a freshwater system. Uh, it became Chase Manhattan Bank. And today it is actually still going and it is known as JP Morgan Chase. That's insane. Dun, dun, dun. That's insane. And it's like Right. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so strange that how things can like last through the ages, right? But things that were built maybe a little sketchy, you know, and things that were built mm -hmm. out of like honesty can last. It's almost scary in a way. Right. It's like, wow, you better be careful how you build something because it could last past you and right. its foundation's going to oh, last. Oh, yeah. And it could morph into something else. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting, I it tell you. So now John Burker Church accused Burr of taking bribes in the creation of all Ooh. of this. And he challenged him to a duel. We hawking. John, you know the story. Yes. <laughs> so John bought a pair of dueling pistols when he was in England. Now, there are conflicting reports on what pistols Burr used, but John most likely used his own. The two men fired. Both of them lived. And apparently John apologized to Burr and the matter was done. They were apparently cool with it. It was over. Wow. But the John Barker Church's dueling pistols, they actually have a little bit more history. Would you like to know I more? would. I really, really <laughs> would because this, this should be fascinating. <laughs> yes. So when Hamilton's son, Philip, challenged George Eaker to a duel in 1801, he borrowed Uncle John's guns. What? In turn, when Burr challenged Hamilton to the duel that we all know of in 1804, Hamilton used used those same guns now the guns are the property of and on display and i kid you not at jp morgan chase the new york city headquarters the bank that aaron burr formed. no that's so wrong isn't that weird of all the place to display it's so them weird and 
It's like here's yes. the gun that our founding <laughs> that our founding father, you know, killed Hamilton with. Isn't aren't we great? Right. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. It's really bizarre and complex and it just kind of warps my brain it a does. little bit. <laughs> it's it's a little weird. It's a little weird. Yes. So now what Angelica thought about all of this crooked business and dueling, um, I really can't know for sure. Uh, I have tried and I have read many of her letters that have been archived. But what I do know is through facts and history is the next years are just their terrible time for the family. Angelica's sister dies. Her nephew, Philip, dies in a duel. Her mother and father die and Hamilton dies in a duel. So all of this sadness. And then, of course, there's the very weird war between America and Britain in 1812 that is totally bizarre. But it's just a lot for the family to process. So I don't have a lot of information. I know that she passed away in 1814. She was 58 years old. She was buried in Trinity Church in Lower Manhattan near Eliza and Alexander Hamilton. And her husband moved back to England and died four years later. So not that soon. You're, you know, a little bit soon after, which is kind of heartbreaking as well. Yeah. Now, one last thing on Angelica, I would be I would be remiss. I would feel really bad that if I didn't talk about the Alexander Hamilton and Angelica relationship, because for research on any of the gals in this series, let alone one that has a ton of personal letters to go through, real life is a lot more complicated than a music. Oh, totally. (laughs) I mean, yes, that can be filed under duh, but still it needs to be brought up. (laughs) Um, Story wise, I really like what they did in the musical. I think satisfied is an amazing song and it's the way that it paints not only Hamilton's character but you get a glimpse into Angelus, Angelica's character oh, as well. Absolutely. Notice I say character not history, right. right? It's different. So throughout Angelica's real life history, she was a muse. I mean, she convinced powerful men on the ways of policy. The letters that she would get in return were flirtatious. I mean, married men would try to woo her. And I'm sure that her flirtation was probably a mask that she wore to even be able to have conversations with these powerful men. I don't think she was cheating on her husband and i don't think she and hamilton were ever an item i think that they admired each other and they loved each other as family also she was rich so maybe was hamilton kissing up to her it could be yeah (laughs) that's my theory and they were both so witty like they both had like the same they could talk about the same stuff and they really cared about policy and politics yes they had that in common as well and like i i did read some stuff that they're like I don't know how accurate it was, but it was like joking about like sharing him on the weekends or something like that. But at the same time, they totally never did because Angelica was so mad when Hamilton cheated on Eliza. When she came back. Right. And like she was so mad that she, yeah, she crossed the ocean to be by Eliza. So it's like you... Mm-hmm. There's no way. There's just there's no way that they actually had an affair, but they did have like a connected relationship, like a flirty relationship. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. and a mutual respect totally, for each other. Yeah. We all have that flirty friend, yeah. don't we? You know, the friend that just loves to flirt and be flirted totally. with, and you become more flirtatious around the flirty friend. She was she that. Was that. That's what she, she was. was. Yeah, it totally was. <laughs> yeah. So you have information on Eliza. I do. 
In Morristown, New Jersey, in the early 1780, Eliza met Alexander Hamilton at a winter's ball, and the Schuyler sisters were the envy of all. And after leaving Morristown, Eliza remained close with Hamilton. The two often wrote letters back and forth. So they were engaged in early April, and um, it was actually with her father's blessing, which I'm beginning to think that perhaps, Leah, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure Eliza was the only one of the Schuyler sisters who got their father's blessing on a marriage. It's quite possible because Catherine would have been the only other one that might have. Oh. She got married one year before Papa Schuyler died. Yeah. So if he was ill, you know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? If he was bedridden, it was not necessarily a thing to, you know, to ask his permission for marriage. But Catherine would have been the only possibility. I think. Yeah. So it's safe to say that Eliza was probably (laughs) the only one who got her father's blessing for marriage. And it was actually a really quick marriage, Mm -hmm. which is also surprising. So December 14th of 1780 um, at the Schuyler Mansion. Alexander Hamilton and Elizabeth Schuyler were married. They had met not even a year beforehand. So that's just incredible. Maybe maybe her, their father like saw the great potential in Hamilton. I, I don't even know. Or maybe their connection was just... A quick yeah, courtship. Yeah, maybe their connection was just that apparent. I mean, who knows? But it's fascinating to me. There's also a war on the horizon. It makes people That's rush. True. That's very true. But <laughs> yep. approve. It makes people rush. Yes. Like I, I understand that they that yes. they um uh married quickly, but agreeing so quickly is what's like, whoa. Right. How did that happen? Maybe That's maybe Alexander true. Hamilton's yeah. just that good at talking. I don't know. I mean, it's just fascinating to me to think about. <laughs> Quite possibly. <laughs> So, Eliza at this time had actually befriended George Washington's wife, Martha Washington, while she was in New Jersey. I found this to be really interesting, seeing as we're covering Martha Washington next, and I did not know that her and Eliza had a relationship. So, it... Oh, yeah, they're like fantastic. So, uh, (laughs) that makes me even more excited to dive deeper into Martha's um, history. So shortly after Eliza and Hamilton's honeymoon, Hamilton and Washington were stationed in New Windsor. So Eliza left not long after Hamilton and joined him there. So Eliza and Martha Washington's friendship only grew as they were there. They often entertained the officers and their husbands worked alongside them. So as Hamilton's political career grew, Eliza actually aided him in his writing. So along with that, she also worked hard creating, just creating their home. So soon, Eliza had to move back to Albany, New York, and she realized she was pregnant with their first child, Philip, who was a poet. And he wrote this rhyme just to show it. (laughs) (laughs) I see what you did there. (laughs) So while Hamilton was away, the two continued to write many letters back and forth. Alexander was finally able to come back to Eliza after the Battle of Yorktown. They stayed in Albany, then later moved back to New York City nearly two years later. So something I forgot to mention about earlier was um, I read actually that Eliza had actually did have kind of a crush or almost courtship with another man before Hamilton arrived, but there was some scandal around him and he was actually sent to hang and that's why they never connected. She still kind of cared about him 
and was like still friends with him. So she consulted Hamilton and was like, he would rather die by gunfire and not be hung. Would you consult Washington for me? And he did. And Washington said no. And he hung. And so Eliza actually did not write Hamilton um, for a few weeks after that. And that was like a few weeks before she agreed to marry him. So it was like, all of the stuff happened. Oh, yeah, the there was this tension of like, oh, I th- I'm pretty sure we're close to being engaged now. What? She's not talking to me. Well, oh, no. <laughs> you know? Right. Dun, dun, oh, the yeah. Plot I thought thickens. that was a very fascinating piece about Eliza because that just shows Hamilton really early that she cares about what she cares about. Like, she's very passionate. Right. And it um, shows throughout the rest of her history. Yeah. Continuing on, on September 25th, 1784, Eliza and Alexander's second child was born, and she was named after Eliza's sister, Angelica. Um, then their third child was Alexander Hamilton Jr., and that he was born nearly two years later. And then in 1788, James Alexander Hamilton was born. So Eliza actually also adopted a two-year-old Fanny Anto when Fanny's mother died. Um, later, Fanny left the Hamilton household, um, and she was 12, and she lived with her newly married sister. But actually, Eliza was known for, like, adopting children and, and like, housing them and and caring for them um, even later in her life, which is amazing. Yeah. The Hamiltons were noted to be a very social family. Alexander and Eliza often attended balls and the theater, and Eliza and Alexander even hosted a dinner for Thomas Jefferson, who was coming home, because Lordy's been off in Paris for so long. But when Hamilton was appointed by George Washington as the first secretary of the Treasury on September 11th, 1789, their social life was noted to have an increase, even more so. So Eliza was able to balance her social life while taking care of and raising her children and also managing the household and managing Hamilton because he needed managed. He was a hot mess, ladies and gentlemen, and the only and the only right. thing that kept he needed a support yeah, the system. thing that kept him square was Eliza. I'm not just saying that because mm-hmm. I think she's awesome. I'm saying that because that's the god honest truth. So, mm-hmm. in Hamilton's continued career, Eliza actually continued to help him. She actually helped him in his his political career and his political writings. She even helped Hamilton write the other 51 Federalist Papers. Then, on August 22nd, 1792, their fifth child, John Church Hamilton, was born. And over the next few years, the family moved often between Albany, New York, and Philadelphia. I mean, this family was huge and crazy and all over the place and political and raising a country and... Mm -hmm. Eliza was at the core. Like, she was right there. It is a traveling family doing what they need to do, where they need to do it. I love it. So now to the Reynolds pamphlet. The affair between Mariah Reynolds, who was married to James Reynolds, and Alexander Hamilton. This surfaced in 1797. And Eliza actually did not believe that her husband had actually had the affair. She did not believe the rumors. But the Reynolds pamphlet was published and when Eliza was pregnant with her sixth child that's when they were published and that's when she read them and she was heartbroken mm-hmm. they stayed married and then later they also had a seventh child 
that was born in 1799. The reconciliation totally. of the relationship. Totally. Proof and evidence. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but notice she's uh, she's named after Eliza. Yeah, it is. Their seventh child is Elizabeth Hamilton. Right? It's named after Eliza. <laughs> it's so cute. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. So Philip, who is a poet, at least that's what the musical says. He's probably not a poet. But, you know, just for funsies. Right? Their eldest son was... In a duel with George Ecker because George actually gave Hamilton a bad name. And and Philip was like, no, you're talking bad about my dad. I'm not going to stand for this. So he challenged him to a duel. And he actually died during this duel. And he died at Angelica and John's church home with his parents by his side. Eliza and Hamilton were right there. And it was just terrible and heartbreaking. Yeah. So the next year, on June 1st, 1802, Eliza and Alexander's eighth and final child was born, and he was named after his brother, Philip Hamilton. I think this is very interesting because now we don't really, quote-unquote, reuse names like that. Like, you know, so it's fascinating to me because even um, Eliza's parents did the same thing. It was very common then. And I think even like I know in my family, uh, like, let's say you have a brother and you have a sister, they will still name both of their sets of kids after the parents. So living, you have like two Johns, you know what I mean? (laughs) With the same last name. So it's one of those things where just the it's to keep the the family namesakes going. It blows my mind for some reason. Okay. <laughs> it does get confusing in research, I'll tell you that, because it's like, wait, which, uh, you know, like, which Philip Hamilton yeah, are exactly. we talking it's about? You know what I mean? <laughs> Unless we have dates, we have no idea which Philip this is. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so two years later, on July 12th, 1804, Hamilton died during a duel with Aaron Burr. And this is the duel that we all know. So Eliza was beside him as he died. Hamilton actually wrote a last letter to her in the event that he died. And I just wanted to read you the end of his letter because it was really sweet, I thought. It says, The consultations of religion, my beloved, can alone support you, and these you have a right to enjoy. Fly to the bosom of your God and be comforted. With my last idea, I shall cherish the sweet hope of meeting you in a better world. Adieu, best of wives and best of women. Embrace all my darling children for me. Ever yours, Alexander Hamilton. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's probably the sweetest letter he ever wrote in his life. Oh my gosh. I know. Yep. So it's like after the Reynolds pamphlet, after everything, like there's sources that say Hamilton more than likely cheated on her in other ways. Like it's just like, but she... At the end of it, she for- she forgave him. Like, when Philip died, they came back together. They had mm-hmm. more children. And they actually really still loved each other. They never actually got a divorce. And Eliza spent the rest of her days defending Hamilton's name. Like, that's how much she loved him. Right. She defended him. That's the really interesting part to me, because divorce wasn't always an option. I mean, cutting them off, living in separate homes, not having more children, that was pretty much a divorce in this time period. But going out of her way, this latter part of her history that you've uncovered, that is fascinating to me, because that's real forgiveness. That's showing it. And she lived 
50 years longer than Hamilton. And she spent the rest of her life defending his name. It's fascinating. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought that his last letter to her was so sweet because I read in a different source that said, with her gentle manner, Dutch tenacity, and quiet humor, she clung to the deeply rooted religious beliefs that had abetted her reconciliation to the extraordinary misfortune misfortunes she had endured like that's what she did ah, like that's what kept her together gotcha and that's why i think it's so her like that, driving connecting yeah, force. That was her yeah. grounding. and another thing that i read that was that was just too sweet not to share was how much she loved him a source says one night i remember she seemed sad and absent-minded and could not go to the parlor where there were visitors but sat near the fire and played backgammon for a while when the game was done, she leaned back in her chair a long time with closed eyes as if lost to all around her. There was a long silence, broken by the murmured words, I'm so tired. It is so long. I want to see Hamilton. It's so Aww. sweet. And then soon after that, oh it man, is. so sweet. And poor Eliza, she had so many misfortunes. I mean, her father died. Um, Her mother had died a year before him. Her her son died. Hamilton died. Like, all of these people are just leaving. When it goes bad for the Schuyler sisters, it goes real bad. Yeah. Yeah. When it rains, it pours. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I don't know about you, but I'm not sure I'd be able to stay sane after all of that happened to me. It's a lot. And in fact, Eliza's daughter, Angelica, didn't. She ended up living the rest of her life being cared for in a home because she could not handle what had happened. She kind of went a little crazy. And she yeah. she lived till she it she lived her. a long yeah. time and she lived a long time in being cared for. After all of that death and other stuff to handle, Eliza was left to pay off Hamilton's debts. Hamilton was not actually good with numbers. Eliza was. So it's kind of ironic. Mm-hmm. Treasury or state? Run the Treasury Department. Okay. Yeah, it's Eliza <laughs> running the Treasury Department or something because Hamilton screwed up his own treasury. I think he, he was good with other people's money, yeah. but not his own because I can see it. Like, I deal with money all day. I'm sure my, you know, fortune and my yeah. my checkbook totally. are fine. Yeah, it totally <laughs> wasn't. And Eliza had to handle all that, which she did with flying colors. They lost their home. But Eliza got it back a couple years later. I mean, mm-hmm. any time and any time critics wrote poorly about Hamilton, Eliza was right there defending him, which is just again incredible. Yeah, uh, Eliza drew strength and comfort from her religion and her church, and she persevered. And Hamilton knew her well enough to know that she could do that and would do that, and it would bring her peace of mind. Because look at world, that would be enough. I just, I think that's really sweet. That's very sweet. Um, in 1805, Eliza joined the Society of, for the Relief of Poor Widows with Small Children. And a year later, she helped to found the Orphan Asylum Society, which, I mean, it sounds a little weird, but it was the first private orphanage in New York City. And she served as the agency's director for nearly three decades. And then it actually still exists today, ladies and gentlemen. It's a social service organization called Graham Widem. 
it's incredible. And they credit Eliza 100%, and it's really cool. That is super cool. It's so great. And, like, Eliza built something, too, that's still... She left a legacy. Absolutely. She saw a need, and she did her part, and it's fantastic. And it's still around today. I love that. And the fact that her husband was an orphan. It's Mm -hmm. it's clear. It's like, oh, she's paying homage to her husband. She was so dedicated to Hamilton. Like, that is a love that withstands the tales of time. Like, that is is amazing. But it's also her heart on her sleeve because they took in Fanny. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's one of those things where it's like, well, we can take in people. What about those who can't take in people? What if we created a space? for you know what i mean to take in so i i'd love that so eliza was so dedicated to preserving hamilton's legacy she enlisted the help of her son john church hamilton and organized all of hamilton's letters papers and writings she worked hard to have his biography and writings published and eliza even wore a small package around her neck and it contained pieces from a sonnet that alexander had written to her when they had been newly married so it's fascinating. I, as Leah said, I actually didn't read anything about her burning the letters, but it completely makes sense that that's what happened. Um, and if they're like, and I looked for letters written by Eliza, and I didn't find a single one. Like I read to you all the stuff that I found. So yeah, and she was so adamant about collecting Hamilton's after the all of that. That I I really think she would have included I I mean I don't know she could have burned them she could have purposely not wanted to take the spotlight um I I really don't know right regardless they are they missing are. her side of you know uh, of the history before Hamilton died does seem to be missing int- and also it's interesting because her side Hamilton would have had right so that's assuming right. We're assuming that maybe they combined them once they met or something, but it could have been Hamilton just lost them or something. Like, I don't know. It's right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's just there's lots to think about. But I actually really love how the musical handles it because it's so emotional. Yes. It it shows how deeply he messed up. But then at the same time, Mm -hmm. one thing I think the musical was kind of lacking was how much Eliza made up for it. Like Eliza, how right. how much Eliza forgave him. So I think that's really cool that we get to share that. The forgiveness, right. yeah. To get to the, you know, not only the forgiveness, but the, you know, trying to be atonement. You need to go through that journey totally. and, you know, burning the letters, taking yourself out of the narrative in a story arc to then, um, you know, forgive and share a legacy. It's like, okay, so that's an incredible yeah, story. That's absolutely. a journey. <laughs> like, we could write a whole thing just on Eliza. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. She's fascinating. Yeah, I didn't, I honestly, after, like, basing just off the musical, I was worried we wouldn't find a lot on Eliza. But she did so much past right. Hamilton because she lived 50 years longer. Yes. That it's like there's so much, actually. I probably could do more research and learn more things. Right. Well, you even have stuff into her 90s as well. So Eliza, during her 90s, she moved to Washington, D.C. to help Dolly Madison, who was raising money for the Washington Monument. She was very dedicated to charity work throughout her whole life. So on November 9th, 1854... 
She was 97. Eliza died. She was buried alongside her husband and her sister Angelica in Trinity Church in New York. She was 97. Like, that's incredible. That's a, that's a that's long a life. That's a very long life. Yeah, absolutely. So we got the Skylar sisters. We've got Angelica now. We've got Eliza. And Peggy. <laughs> so Peggy was the third born daughter. Her birth name was Margarita. When she was 25 years old, she married Stephen Ren Rensselaer the third. The third. Now, the Ren Rensselaer's family, they were wealthy landowners of Dutch ancestry, and their family was tied to Philip Livingston, the signer of the Declaration of Independence, one of the signers Whoa. of the Declaration of Independence. But Stephen was 19, and he was also a distant cousin, because that name sounds familiar, right? Yeah. Kitty was a Van Rensselaer, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. So Daddy Schuyler didn't approve of this marriage, and like her sister, <laughs> Angelica, they eloped. Right. Mm -hmm. So when Stephen turned the ripe old age of twenty-one, oh geez, <laughs> oh he's an old man at that oh, point. Yeah. He was now responsible, though, uh, for the family's manor and became a lord of the manor and because it was left to him by his late father. So a month before the Battle of Yorktown in 1781, there is this interesting story about Peggy. And it comes from the book The Schuyler Mansion at Albany, Residence of Major General Philip Schuyler. And it's written by another Schuyler. Georgina Schuyler. And this book was published in 1911. Now, it talks about what could be family legend. Then again, it could be totally true. We don't know. <laughs> totally. But I love this story. I know. It's a great story. A group of Tories in the Mohawk Valley were employed to kidnap prominent citizens and bring them to Canada and hold them for ransom. So the Schuyler sister's father, General Schuyler, was on the list. He was warned and he hired guards. The general and his family were in the front hall. Three guards were resting in the grass. Three more were resting in the basement. When a stranger came to the back gate and asked one of the servants if he could speak to the general. Now, this didn't sound good. So the house doors were shut and locked and most of the family ran upstairs. When the assailants burst open the doors, Mama Schuyler realized that baby Catherine was still downstairs in her cradle. Uh -oh. The general stopped her from going downstairs. But Peggy ran down instead. She grabbed her infant sister and she rushed back up the stairs. A Native American who was with the Tories saw her and he threw his tomahawk at her, barely missing the baby, slicing her dress and landing in the stair railing. But it didn't stop her. Now, the Tory who was at the top of the stairs did stop her. But he thought that Peggy was a servant, and he asked her where General Philip was. Peggy said, again, according to legend, she said he had gone to warn the town. So the attackers stole some things, retreated, and later kidnapped another man in town, General Gordon, and brought him to Canada. So good on Peggy for some quick thinking and saving that family. Heck yeah. <laughs> Everybody's around because of Peggy. 
And Peggy. Now, Peggy and Stephen had three children together, but in a heartbreaking turn of events, only one of them would actually see adulthood. Peggy is noticeably vacant in the second act of the play. Um, In fact, the actress who plays Peggy takes on the role of uh, Mariah Reynolds in the second act. And that is because the real life Peggy got sick and died at the age of 42 in 1801. Now, Hamilton was actually there in town when she died, and he wrote to Eliza, quote, On Saturday, my dear Eliza, your sister took leave of her sufferings and friends. I trust to find her repose and happiness in a better country. Mm. So Peggy was first buried in the Van Rensselaer estate, but then later she was moved to the Albany Rural Cemetery. Now, you have some information on the sisters that are kind of new to us if uh, just the musical is our base knowledge. (laughs) And it's actually not super surprising that they didn't make it to the musical because there's really not a lot on them. So I kind of only found a couple sources on Cornelia. So according to traditional sources, Cornelia's courtship and marriage were just very dramatic. Of course, Cornelia's um, marriage was not blessed by her father, and they, of course, eloped, just like her other sisters. In October of 1797, Cornelia married Washington Morton, who's from New Jersey, and they probably married in western Massachusetts, and it is said that they had five children. So, when Cornelia's mother passed in March of 1803... In June, she was named among the children and heirs and willed by her father. So she was to receive a proportional share of his estate, including a portion of the Saratoga patent. So at that time, the Mortons were living among his family at Greenwich, a family estate which was said to have been two miles from New York. Their marriage was pretty short, though, because Cornelia actually died in Philadelphia in June of 1808. Um, The news noted that her worth is very highly extolled, and she lived about 32 years. So she really didn't live that long, and she ran away with a guy that her dad didn't approve of, and she kind of just kept it on the down low from there. Like, that's pretty much all we know at this point. Right, exactly. Interesting and sad at the same time. Yeah. So then I looked into Catherine. Now, Catherine was uh, the last child born, and she was the youngest sister. Um, One interesting thing was that George and Martha Washington were the sponsors at when she was baptized. So she's actually the goddaughter of George and Martha Washington. So that's pretty cool. So when Catherine was 22, she married Samuel Baynard Malcolm, and they had four children together. Now, Samuel wrote several books, and he was also the secretary for Vice President John Adams. I know him. Sorry. Samuel's father was General Malcolm of the Revolutionary War, who was also elected to the New York Provincial Congress. Now, Samuel died the same year as Angelica in 1814, because once again, when it gets hard for the Schuylers, it really gets hard for them. Um, Now, Catherine did marry a second time, and she married James Cochran. Now, this was actually her first cousin. And James was a lawyer and a member of Congress from Montgomery County. 
Now, there isn't a lot more on Catherine, but there is a book, and the book is actually called The Godchild of Washington, and it's by another Schuyler, Catherine Schuyler Baxter. And there's an account from a relative that actually remembers Catherine and says this about her, quote, I was very fond of her. She was the most intellectual, attractive, and charming woman I had ever known. So Phoebe, what legacy do you think the Schuyler sisters wanted to leave behind? I mean, we've got lots of gals to talk about and to kind of to put into the mix this time, yeah, right? Yeah, we've got like five of them. So I feel like with the Schuyler sisters, we kind of just divided them up, the three oldest and then the two youngest, right? But I kind of feel like I should, mm-hmm. I'm going to classify them or group them again like that, simply because... We have less on Cornelia and Catherine, and I think it's because they just kind of wanted to stay in the shadows. I feel like they, if they wanted to leave a legacy as grand or whatever as their sisters, that we totally would know more about them. So I kind of think that Catherine and Cornelia, they kind of had like a more a more subtlety about them where they just, they wanted to have their loves they wanted to have their lives they wanted to have their own children and all of this stuff i think that they they just wanted their legacy to be just about their family not necessarily the whole big group and politics and all that kind of stuff now angelica on the other hand i think angelica totally wanted her name to be known in all of america and not just america but just everywhere she went She lived in France. She lived in Europe. She lived in America. Everywhere she went, she found the most influential men and she talked to Mm -hmm. them. She gave them her opinions. She perhaps flirted with them, but like in her own Angelica type way, like we were talking about earlier, she she engaged with every powerful man, every man in power she could possibly engage with to get her opinions heard and that is very admirable and i think that that's what she wanted her legacy to be she wanted her legacy to be this is what i believe in we're building a country here here's my opinion because they count too so i think that's that's really cool right i think peggy's legacy would definitely be more centered around her family like she wasn't as involved in the politics Mm -hmm. either she definitely cared about her father and her mother and her her very close family and i think that she wanted the best for them and she wanted her legacy to just be okay i'm gonna tone it down for my sisters i'm just gonna you know Mm -hmm. i'm gonna focus on the family because everybody else is focused on politics so I I think she was a little less concerned about it. Eliza's legacy was wanting Hamilton's legacy to be in a golden light and not under a shadow. I I think sh- I think mm-hmm. Eliza's legacy was she was really proud of her husband and she wanted everybody to know why they should be too. I don't think she ever she do- she seems like the selfless caring type to me. I mean, of course I could be wrong, but I honestly think that she was just like, no, Hamilton deserves this. 
You need to stop talking crap about him and realize that he helped build this country. So I, I really right. give him his his uh, his due time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the orphanage, like she she wanted her legacy to be about her husband and about helping children. Yeah, I I mean I do thinking over this Skylar family and where they come from. Um, I really do think that legacy was really important to all of the family mm. but figuring out their place in it like you know totally. what i mean you can know oh something's gosh, important yeah. but you don't yeah. necessarily know what like, to do about it it's probably why their father didn't approve of all the marriages because they were concerned about their own legacy but then that's also probably right. why the um the two went into hiding or whatever like we don't hear about them because it would like tint or whatever the legacy so it's just right. So, it wasn't yeah. building the legacy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, that's very true. Because it, I mean, it really seemed, yeah, in a lot of ways that their decisions um, reflect the legacy. Totally. You know what I mean? Yeah. Either rejection or an acceptance totally. of it. Um, the the marriages that they made, the alliances that they made, where they mm. lived, and what they built all seem to relate back to the importance of the family Absolutely. legacy. So, I mean, Angelica's got the city named after her mm-hmm. in New York. So, you know what I mean? That's, uh, that is a legacy. Eliza's legacy has the orphanage. Um, Peggy's, I want to say her legacy is more than the, uh, the story. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Then the the family urban legend, but I love that story because it shows her legacy is protecting Absolutely. her family. So whether it's yeah. true or not, maybe it's a spirit of where it's like, well, Peggy tried to protect us. Totally. <laughs> she also she did marry well too. That's the other thing. So, but and so that does make me wonder of Cornelia and Catherine. They were younger. Did they see what their sisters and their brothers? I mean, we haven't talked about their right. brothers because we focus on women in this show. But did those two, because they were the later born, go, you know what? This looks like a lot of work and a lot of trouble. Totally. <laughs> because they were actually, I, I did a little math. They were born nearly 20 years after Angelica. I'm pretty sure that's right. right so it's like, exactly. oh my gosh. And it's they a different ha- they time. Have a totally, yeah. They have like a generation gap, essentially. They weren't, yeah, exactly. They weren't necessarily uh, coming of age during the foundation of forming an America and a big totally. war between England. You know what I mean? So it was, a, it was different. Right. The legacy is still, I'm sure that pressure is still mm-hmm. there, but it's a different kind totally. of pressure. <laughs> it's which side of the war are we going to end up on? We want to make sure the Schuyler family, you know, is at the, is still in power, is still the social elite, right. no matter which way this whole country experiment goes. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's interesting. But even though we'd still have um, Catherine as the, as the last child being the goddaughter of George Washington. Mm-hmm. And I think that really forms the family legacy with the founding of America. Totally. So, you know what I mean? Even though none of them married Washingtons or anything like that, it still bonds the Schuyler family with um, another important founding father of history. Absolutely, yeah. And it's quite... Quite interesting, and it feels like a lot of pressure. That's what I, you know what I mean? That legacy comes with a lot of pressure. Yeah, I'm kind of, I I love the Skylers, but I'm kind of glad I'm not a Skyler, because that's, like you said, that's a lot of pressure. That's a a lot to live up to, and if, like, if you're not doing the right thing for the legacy, 
then, I mean, your history is not written as eloquently as we see. You know what I mean? It's like, this is, right. this is exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, one other thing that I remember kind of thinking in the back of my mind when I was researching Catherine, when she did her, when she had her second mm-hmm. marriage and she married her first cousin, my first thought was, are they just out of people? Yeah, You know what totally. I'm saying? Like the Schuyler family social circle, like they've married all of them. Are they literally out of people that they have to now marry the family? Yeah. <laughs> That's another social pressure. Yeah. And it's also very but, awkward. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so then comes the uh, the really fun question. What did you learn from oh, them? Because we had yeah. a, a wide variety of dynamic women um, to learn from this episode. Oh, that is a lot. Oh man. I I learned the most from Eliza. Um most definitely. Mm-hmm. I see Eliza as having a great strength that I mean, I'm I'm a religious person, but I do not understand where she got that strength from. It's right. absolutely incredible. I don't think I could have done it no. either, but I'm looking at it through a modern filter. Yeah. yeah that's mm-hmm. true. Where I have options. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, even the going back to Hamilton part, like, okay, but 50 years of building up his name, she didn't have to right. do that. She she didn't. Mm-hmm. She could have done the opposite. She could have just left it alone. She could have built up her father's name in that time. Yeah. 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 She could have done so many different things. And instead, she built up her husband. I think I learned about true love from Eliza, not necessarily from Hamilton, mm-hmm. But from Eliza, the way Eliza right. showed true love, like I, I firmly believe that that's true love because that's mm-hmm. the only way I can fathom how you'd spend 50 years building up your husband's name who cheated on you and did terrible right. things. Like, like she could have blamed Philip's death on him. She could have blamed his own death mm-hmm. on him. I don't know. I I learned so much about strength and love from Eliza. Well, I mean, one of the things that, one of the many things, mm-hmm. I should say, one of the many things that I love about the Hamilton musical is that ending song, Who Lives, Who Dies, Who Tells Your Story. Mm. History is told by passionate individuals in effort to educate, but also to inspire. And so in learning history, you really, you don't know how it's going to inspire others. Now, um, Ron Chernow wrote the biography on Hamilton, and that inspired Lin-Manuel Miranda, who then inspired, you know, the world to uh, empathize with these moments in history. And the reason why it inspires us is because we're all, no matter what time period it is, we are searching for meaning. We're searching Mm -hmm. for role models and we're searching for a connection. So we don't get that connection if no one tells the story. So that's why I bring it up because I feel it's really important to tell the story. Um, I will give Eliza a lot of credit for collecting Hamilton's letters um, and for keeping his legacy alive. I feel like she did so much of that. We nearly lost her history. Yes. Do you see what I'm saying? Absolutely. Um, so it's important to tell her story because she she almost was so busy telling somebody else's that we that we didn't hear her. Definitely. You know what I yeah. mean? The other thing that I that I struggled with um, with this episode, I felt like so much of these gals were being defined by what their husband or what their father did. Definitely. And it was kind of an internal struggle for me because the letters that are even in the archives, you know what I mean? are written to these gals, but they're not 
by them. I'm not seeing their words. And it, that kept coming back. And I'm like, yeah, but what did they say in response? Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Or <laughs> it was quite, uh, quite interesting and kind of heartbreaking. Um, so, you know, even though these letters are from some of the most powerful uh, in Americans founding, I found that these Schuyler sisters voices were quieted. I wouldn't say silenced. I would just say quieted. Yeah. Um, and as much as I was able to research and to to look up, I would still need to look at what their husbands were, were doing right, yeah. to be able to find more information on them, to to paint a, uh, a bigger picture of their lives was told um, through their husbands. But the history we found is incredible. Oh, yeah. I mean, can you imagine if this is only half the story? Oh, my gosh. I can't even. <laughs> right. I can't imagine. Right. No, so, I mean, I learned that within the, the confines of these women not being able to run for political office, mm-hmm. not being able to sign any treasured document like the Declaration of Independence, but these women made history. They influenced, they supported, they fought for their ideals, and they loved. Uh, they loved their husbands, they loved their children, and they loved this idea of the American experiment. And as the musical says, they were the best of wives and best of women. And I'm just really happy that we got to tell their story Absolutely. because I think that kind of goes back to my favorite part of the musical and telling their story. Absolutely. So, do you have any final thoughts, my dear? I don't. It's just a it's a lot of history and it's almost overwhelming now that I'm like I was not overwhelmed before, but now I'm overwhelmed with wow, we just covered a lot of history just with these right, gals. Exactly. And it's it's amazing. Well, that wraps it up for us. So what comes next? You've been learning. History has your gears a turning. Awesome. Wow. Do you have a clue what happens now? Because ocean rise and empires fall, and it's much harder when it's all your call. All alone across the sea, and when your people say they hate you, don't come crawling back to me. Martha Washington is next. For more information about this week's gal, or to check out our previous episodes, visit galsguide.org. To support the show, visit the Gals Guide Patreon page. We love our patrons and offer exclusive perks and behind-the-scenes access for as little as $1 a month. Thank you so much for subscribing to Your Gal Friday.